And before I pray, I just want you to just take your Bible and hold it up in front of you. And I just want you to think and reflect that, that this book is the words of the living God, the creator of the universe. That he didn't hide from us. He's revealed himself to us clearly in history and sending his son and in the words of this book. So you're holding in your hands the words of the living God. We have God's words here. Never lose sight of that. It's so easy for this to become familiar to us. Don't let that happen. So Lord, we pray now as we come to open up your word that we would tremble before the reality that this book is your book, your words, our creator's words written to us the creatures. And Lord, we want to submit to your word. We want to humble ourselves before your word. We want to trust your word. We want to love your word. We want to obey your word. So come and work with power in us, through us. Help me as I preach, Lord, to be clear and to be faithful to your word. And would you do a mighty work in each of us, I pray this morning. Jesus' name, amen. The New Testament describes the church like a flock of sheep. You've seen that, right? And, and that's a helpful picture in many ways because we have a lot of needs like sheep do. I mean, sheep need to be fed from the, the green pastures, and we're like sheep. We need to be fed from the green pastures of God's word. And we need to be led to the living waters of the Holy Spirit so we can drink and not be thirsty. And we need to be pulled back from dangerous cliffs of sin that we, like sheep, could wander over to our destruction. We need to be protected from ferocious wolves, false teachers, false teachings, which could destroy us. We need to be led to find Lost sheep, if I'm not stretching the analogy too far, led to find lost sheep who need to be drawn into God's flock. So the New Testament describes the church. Here we are, off-island church. We're like a flock of sheep. And because we have these needs that I've just described, Jesus raises up for his church shepherds. Godly, faithful, biblical shepherds. And this is crucial, because without shepherds, we can be malnourished because we lack biblical teaching. We can become thirsty because we're not being led to the living water of God's Spirit. We can be wandering off towards cliffs of sin without anybody caring or noticing or pursuing us. We can be damaged, destroyed by the ferocious wolves, the false teachers, or we can just become lazy and not be going out and seeking the lost sheep to draw them into God's flock. And so we need faithful, godly, biblical shepherds. And Jesus, in his great love for the church, raises up such shepherds. And the New Testament calls them elders. And that's what today's passage in 1 Peter 5 is talking about. So let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to be studying verses 1 through 5 this morning. This is a crucial passage on elders, 
God has given us clear instruction in his word as to how churches are to be structured. And our conviction here is that each church is to be shepherded and loved and led and governed by a team of elders, men who are on a team, a plurality of elders. There will be deacons as well. This passage focuses on elders and what God calls elders to be and to do. So let's look. And now again, some of you are thinking, I'm not an elder, so I'll just like check my phone or whatever while I'm here. But as we talk about what elders are to do, what I'm praying, one of the things I'm praying God will do in our hearts is he will show you how deeply Jesus loves you to raise up such godly, faithful, biblical elders to shepherd you. I'm also praying that if any of you are not really involved in a local church, that you'll see how crucially important it is that you be in a local church with godly, faithful, biblical elders who are shepherding and loving and caring for you. It's a dangerous thing for sheep to be out in the wild by themselves. Jesus wants his sheep to be part of the the sheepfold with shepherds who are loving and caring. So let's look at what Peter says. 1 Peter chapter 5 Verses 1 through 5. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, that's Jesus, when the chief shepherd appears, you elders will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, did you notice that in verse 4, Peter says that Jesus is the chief shepherd? So Jesus is the chief shepherd over the flock of God, over the, the church, God's sheep, Jesus' flock. He's the chief Shepherd. But notice in verses 1 and 2, we see that Jesus raises up elders who help him shepherd the flock. Now, in the rest of the New Testament, if you study and ask who are elders, what you discover is that elders are men who are commissioned by the Holy Spirit to join together as a team and shepherd the church. Each local church is intended to have a team, a plurality of elders loving, shepherding, and caring. They're also called overseers in some passages and pastors in other passages. Elders equals overseers equals pastors. That's our conviction here at the Off-Island Church. And so each local church is to have a team of elders who love and care for and shepherd the, the flock. There will be a lead elder. Here, that's Pastor Matt. And then Pastor Matt is joined by Ray and by Gilbert and by Cole. Cole's not here this morning. 
So that's the structure here at the Off-Island Church. Now, in this letter, remember, Peter's writing to a large area, Asia Minor. You can read chapter 1, verse 1. Most of modern-day Turkey is being addressed in this letter. And so he's talking to each local church that's involved in that large area, and he's addressing the elders that are over each of those specific local churches. And he's going to call these elders to love and shepherd the particular flocks that they are responsible for. But before he gets to his charge to those elders, before he exhorts them to shepherd the flock, he wants to explain to them the basis on which he makes his exhortation. So let's start with that as our first question. What, on what basis does Peter exhort the elders? Now that's important because Peter knows what he's going to be calling these elders to do is hard work. It's costly work. It's sacrificial work. It's difficult work. And so he wants to make sure that they understand why they should listen to him and why they should take on this work that he's going to be calling them to do. So on what basis does Peter exhort the elders? He gives them reasons. And look what he says in verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. So here he gives them three reasons why they should listen to him and take on this difficult work of shepherding the flock. The first reason is because he is a fellow elder. Did you catch that? As a fellow elder, he says. So Peter knows what it means to be an elder. He has been involved in helping to lead the church in Jerusalem. And as he writes this letter, he is presently involved in leading, shepherding the church that's in Rome. So Peter is not sitting in the air-conditioned offices of the, the Association of Palestinian Shepherds, sitting back, writing theory to these shepherds that are out on the fields. Peter is on the mountainsides, the hillsides, the hot you know, sun-baked Palestinian hillside, surrounded by sheep, Peter's writing as a shepherd to shepherds. He's a fellow elder with them. So that's one reason they should listen to him. He's a fellow elder. He's in the trenches with them. Second reason, it's because he's a witness of the sufferings of Christ. You remember the story, right? Peter was there when Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. In fact, Peter, trying to defend Jesus, pulled out his sword and cut off the ear of one of those who was seeking to arrest Jesus. Remember the story? So Peter saw Jesus arrested there in the garden and then taken to the courtyard. And remember that Peter then denied Christ three times? And when Jesus locked eyes with him, Peter broke down and wept and fled the scene. But because here Peter says he was a witness of Christ's sufferings, that must mean that the next day then Peter made his way back to Calvary, Mount Golgotha, where he saw Jesus on the cross, suffering. Peter saw Jesus there suffering with his own eyes. And so Peter saw how deeply Jesus loves his flock. He saw how much compassion and mercy he had for his sheep, that he was willing to suffer. Peter saw him suffering on the cross 
for ours. And so what Peter is saying to these elders he's writing to is, brothers, listen to me. I saw Jesus' suffering. I was a witness of his sufferings. I saw how much he loves his sheep, how much he loves his flock. So brothers, love the sheep. Love Jesus' flock. Do you feel the power of that? Mm. That's the second reason. Third reason is because he says he is a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. At the second coming, Jesus Christ is going to be revealed. You will all be there, and you will see with your own eyes him in his glory. And for everyone who is trusting Jesus as Savior, as Lord, as heart-satisfying treasure, for all those of us who are trusting Jesus, that moment of seeing Jesus no longer through a mirror dimly, but now face-to-face, it'll be the highest, greatest joy you have ever known, and it will continue through eternity. You will see Jesus revealed in his glory. But notice, Peter here doesn't just say that he will in the future see Jesus' glory. He says he is now a partaker of Jesus' glory. Did you catch that? As a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And this isn't just true for Peter. In chapter 4, verse 14, he says that if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. We will experience times as we seek the Lord in prayer, as we are in the word, as we're going through suffering for Christ's name, we will have times where we are partakers of his glory. That's what Peter's talking about here. He has times, just like you and I do, where he tastes firsthand the glory of Jesus. It's just a taste. It's just like an appetizer of what's to come. But, oh, it's, it's real, and it's tasty, and it's filling, and it's glorious, and it's joyful. And so what Peter is saying to the fellow elders is, brothers, I, I am a partaker of Christ's glory, the glory that, be, that will be revealed. And I can tell you, men, Jesus' glory is real. And Jesus' glory is worth it all. So the cost, the difficulty, the labor of being an elder, Jesus' glory makes it worth it all. The hours of study of God's word, brothers, is worth it all. The labor of praying for the flock, Jesus' glory will make it worth it all. The awkwardness of having to call a brother who's wandering into sin and have a difficult conversation... Jesus' glory will make it worth it all. Any suffering for the gospel, his glory is worth it all. Brothers, the hard work of being called to be an elder, Jesus' glory, I tell you, it is real, it is all satisfying, it's worth it all. So do you feel the power of this, the basis, these three reasons Peter is giving? I'm a fellow elder, brothers. Fellow elder. So I know what it means. I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ. I've seen his love. And I'm a partaker of Christ's glory. He's worth it all. So brothers, listen to this appeal, this exhortation that I'm now going to give you. And so then what is the exhortation that he gives? Verses 2 and 3. What does Peter exhort the elders to do? Verses 2 and 3. Shepherd the flock of God, 
that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Now, the main command there is those first words in verse 2. Underline those. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. The church is a flock, the flock of God, a flock of sheep. The church is a flock of sheep who need to be shepherded. And notice that Peter says shepherding involves exercising oversight. Okay, so there's, there's shepherding, which is loving and feeding and protecting and caring the flock, right? Making sure the wolves aren't getting in, making sure no sheep are wandering away. So that's part of, of the role of elders. But there's also exercising oversight, which has to do with leadership. Each church has a vision from God of what he's calling them to accomplish in their city and to the nations. And the elders come together and pray and say, Lord Jesus, what is your vision for this church? What is your call? What do you want us to do? What's your call to us here? And that's what the elders here have done. And so then they lead the flock. And the church, here's where we're going. We're called to move in this direction, move in that direction. Here's the vision God's given to this church. So there's shepherding, and then there's oversight, there's leadership. That's what elders are called to do. So shepherd the church of God, which includes exercising oversight. Okay, so elders... And the rest of you, to learn, here's what God is calling us to do in terms of shepherding the flock. It means we care for the flock compassionately. Elders love God's people. They love the church. They love the flock. Elders study God's word diligently so that the flock can be fed from the luscious green pastures of God's word Friday after Friday after Friday, feeding in the word. Elders preach and teach God's word faithfully, proclaiming the word of God. That's what elders do. Elders pray for the flock earnestly, lifting the people up in the church, name by name, pleading for the burdens, pleading for the difficulties, crying out for God to pour his grace, pour his strength. Elders pray, labor in prayer for the flock. Elders train and equip the flock biblically, training up leaders, training up how to study the Bible, training up how to pray, how to share the gospel. Elders train and equip biblically. Elders protect the flock lovingly, being alert that there's false teaching, there's wolves in sheep's clothing, there's harm that could come to the flock, and that God has entrusted the flock to their care and to their responsibility. And as Hebrews says, elders will give an account to Jesus for their care for the flock. And so they care, they protect the flock. Elders correct the flock humbly. may have to have some difficult conversations and raise some hard questions if they see someone wandering or some difficulty taking place. And then elders lead the flock boldly. This is the direction God's called us to. It's going to take faith. It's going to be costly. But his glory is worth it all. Let's go, church. That's what elders do. So that's Peter's main exhortation. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Okay, but then, in the rest of verses 2 and 3, Peter gives three statements, both how elders should and should not shepherd and exercise oversight. 
First, halfway through verse 2, he says, We elders should shepherd the flock not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. In other words, elders should want to shepherd the flock. No one should be an elder just because there's a need. No one should be an elder just because he thinks he's supposed to. When the Holy Spirit calls a man to be an elder, he will put a burning passion in that man's heart to love and shepherd and lead the flock. He will passionately want to be an elder. And that's what Peter's saying. Not under compulsion, but willingly, eagerly. Second, verse 2. He says we should shepherd the flock not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now that, that Greek word that's translated shameful gain has to do with stealing money, basically. The elders handle the finances of the church. And that could create some temptations for an elder to well, be like Judas. Remember, Judas stole from the common fund that Jesus and the disciples had. Judas stole from that. And so there could be a temptation for someone to want to be an elder to embezzle money. Peter says, absolutely not. Do not be an elder for selfish gain. Do it because the Holy Spirit has called you for the glory of Jesus Christ. You want to love and serve and lay your life down for this flock. Third, in verse 3, he says, we elders should shepherd the flock, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So no one should want to become an elder because he likes to be in charge or he likes to be in control or he likes to have power or he likes to, to, I can order people around kind of thing. That's not what it's about. Not domineering, but being an example. Leading by example. I mean, there will be some leading by words, but mostly and especially leading by example. So elders are to be examples of men who love God passionately and worship Jesus Christ with all their hearts. Examples of men of prayer, men of the word. Examples of battling sin in their own lives. Loving his wife, godly parenting. An example of loving God's people when the phone rings late at night Loving, listening, spending time talking, praying, caring, loving the flock, training and equipping God's people. We elders should be examples of reaching out to the lost, of working hard at our jobs, at providing for our families, and suffering for the gospel. So leading by example mostly. Not domineering, not because you like to have authority and like to order people around, but because you want to be an example to the flock of of what it means to follow Jesus. So that's what Peter's calling elders to do. Now, can we all agree that that's a tall order? Okay? Can you feel the weightiness of that? Some of you are elders, okay? But the rest of us, can you feel? And, and again, just let me remind you, can you see the love that Jesus has for his flock, that he would give each church elders like this? Do you see how much he loves you? He doesn't leave you as sheep without shepherds, but he raises up 
faithful, godly, biblical elders, shepherds like this to care for you. Thank the Lord Jesus for the elders in your midst and that he loves the church enough to give them this level of care and love and protection and leadership. That's what Peter calls elders to do. Okay, but now Peter knows this is a lot. This is a weighty responsibility. He knows that elders will need strong motivation to keep shepherding the flock day after day and month after month and year after year. He knows that elders are going to need help to keep going. And so he wants to give them some strong motivation, and that's in the next verse. How does Peter motivate the elders to do this? What is the fuel that powers elders' hearts to keep going with love and shepherding and care? Look at verse 4. Here's the motivation. And when the chief shepherd appears, you, elders, will receive the unfading crown of glory. So if elders shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, not for selfish gain, but eagerly, not because they like to be domineering, but as examples to the flock, if they will shepherd the church of God in that way, then when Jesus returns, the elders will receive the unfading crown of glory. Jesus Christ will give this to these elders. Now, what does that mean? What's the unfading crown of glory? I I believe it's the joy that we will have when we see Jesus displayed in his glory. That's the unfading crown. It's a metaphor for the joy that we will have when we see Jesus face to face, beholding him in his glory. And this is the same reward that every believer will experience. Same reward, this unfading crown of glory. It's not just elders who have this joy. Every believer will be rewarded with the joy of seeing Jesus in his glory. See, each of us, the more faithful we are to fulfilling God's call in our lives, the more obedient we are to Jesus Christ, the more joy you will have in Jesus' glory forever. That's the reward. The more faithful you are, the more obedient you are, the more you battle against sin now, the more joy you will have forever in beholding Jesus Christ. You'll be rewarded. Now, don't misunderstand the word reward. It's not that our obedience or faithfulness earns anything from Jesus. Nothing we do can earn anything because even our best efforts are still shot through with sin and impurities. But here's how it works. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, paying for all of your sin, past, present, and future, and because by faith alone his righteousness covers you, so God sees you as clothed with Jesus' perfect righteousness, which covers your remaining sin. Because of Jesus' death on the cross and perfect righteousness, God mercifully rewards your undeserving obedience with more joy in Jesus' glory forever. It's all mercy 
And yet still what that means is that the more faithful you are, the more obedient you are, the more you battle against sin now, the more joy you will be rewarded with, mercifully rewarded with forever. And that's what Peter is saying to the elders. He's saying, elders, the more faithfully and sacrificially and devotedly you shepherd and love and lead the flock, the more joy you will have in beholding Jesus' glory forever. Which means, your laboring in prayer for the flock, maybe tonight, taking 30 minutes or an hour to pray for the flock, your laboring in prayer for the flock will bring you more joy in Jesus' glory forever. Feel the power of that? You having a difficult conversation with someone about sin in his life and having that person not respond well and the pain of that as you humbly and lovingly obey and talk to this brother, seek to draw him back to Christ, you will have more joy in Jesus' glory forever because of it. And as you seek to be an example to the flock of sharing the gospel with neighbors and friends, and as you maybe experience some pushback or some persecution as a result, you will receive more joy in Jesus' glory forever. That's what Peter's saying to the elders. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Powerful motivation. Now, that brings us to verse 5. In verse 5, Peter shifts from talking to the elders, and now he's talking to the rest of the church. Now he's talking to the rest of us, okay? And the reason he does this, the reason he shifts now to talking to the rest of the church is because to have a healthy church, which is obeying Christ and bringing Jesus glory and advancing the gospel, to have a, a healthy church needs more than just loving, faithful shepherds, elders, Something more is needed for the church to be healthy. And what is that? What needs to be true of the rest of God's people? Read verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders and clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Okay, so Peter calls the younger people to be subject to the elders. Now, it's a little puzzling. Why does he single out the younger people here? Because other passages call the whole church to be subject to the elders, to be responsive to their leadership. Hebrews 13 says, Obey your leaders. Be respectful towards them. So why does he single out the younger people here? So I, I, I checked with some different commentators, and the answer that made the most sense to me was that in this case, or maybe generally, but... but these younger people, anyway, had difficulty in terms of submitting to their elders. Maybe they had a sense of you know, rebelliousness, kind of a rebellious streak in them, or, or a tendency towards being divisive. And so Peter calls the, the younger people to be subject to your elders, to the elders. And then he calls all of us to clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. Now, that would include being humble towards the elders, but it would also include being humble towards the person sitting next to you, and towards everyone else that's in, in, in your church family here. Clothe yourselves with humility towards each other. 
Now, how do we do that? I wish it was as easy as just like taking a shirt off of the, the hanger and, and clothing yourself with that shirt. Wouldn't it be nice if it's like you could grab humility and put it on and, oh, I'm humble now. It's not quite that easy, is it? Is it? It's not that easy. So how do we clothe ourselves with humility? Well, pulling from some different passages, here's, here's what I would suggest. Take time to meditate deeply on, first of all, God's perfections, and then on your sinfulness, and then on the cross of Christ. If you will take time to think about God's perfections, his perfect righteousness, flawless love, pure goodness, meditate on God's absolute moral perfection and then meditate on your sinfulness. Yes, you've been saved. Yes, you've been born again. Yes, you've been redeemed. But left to yourself, you would still be completely sinful. Left to yourself. It's only by God's grace continuing to sustain us that we are transformed and godly and holy, right? So ponder your nature as a sinner. Think about that. And then think about the cross. Jesus taking the punishment upon himself that you deserve. Suffering in your place for your sin. And when we take time to meditate on God's perfections and our sinfulness and Jesus' death on the cross, we will be humbled. As you pray over those truths, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and stir in your heart humility, a sense of lowliness. So you won't think, I'm better than other people. You won't be able to go there, because you'll see who you are left to yourself. And you won't tend to think you're always right, right? Because you'll understand, there's sin in me. I can be deceived. And you'll respect other people's opinions when they differ, thinking, maybe they're right. I want to understand them. I want to hear them out and see what they have to say. You'll respond to the elders when they when they lead, when there's just an area of personal preference, you won't like hold that area of personal preference and like cause division and cause disunity. But if it's an area of personal preference, you'll lay that down for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the unity of the body. You'll clothe yourself with humility. Now, one, one side note here. This would not happen here. We have godly elders here. But if you were ever in a church where elders were leading you away from the scriptures, then you should not submit to them. Humbly go to them, appeal to them, ask for clarification. Maybe you're hearing it wrong. Think the best. But, but if they're leading you away from the church, then you, you need to go to them and ask them and verify the case. And then you need to find another church with elders who are leading you into the scriptures. So don't misunderstand what the Bible says, okay? But again, that's not the case here. Here your elders are leading you beautifully and powerfully towards the Lord Jesus and in the word and for Christ's glory to advance the gospel. And so we clothe ourselves with humility, which means if there's an area where, well, I just kind of like to do things a little bit differently, area of personal preference, surrender that for the sake of the body and for the sake of their leadership. Let that go. Oh, listen, unity in the body of Christ is a beautiful thing. And for the sake of Christ, we can lay down our personal preferences. And that's happening here. 
we can, I mean, look around. Think of what's happened in these last years. There's a beautiful unity that God has given to this church. And that's going to continue by God's grace. So we clothe ourselves with humility. Now, why is that so important? That we be humble. Don't miss Peter's reason here. It's because God opposes the proud. He opposes the proud. You can just read right over that phrase, but don't read right over that. Think of what it would mean to have the sovereign, all-powerful creator of the universe opposing you. You don't want that. So clothe yourself with humility because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He lavishes his grace, outpourings of grace, outpourings of goodness upon the humble. You think, well, if I'm humble, if I let other people have their way, then I'm going to lose? No, grace, grace, grace lavished upon you from God as you clothe yourself with humility. Okay, now, church, one last question. What does this mean for us? There's four takeaways. First, thank God for providing shepherds for his flock. See how deeply he loves the church that he would provide shepherds. Thank him for the elders that you have here. Second, pray for the elders he's raised up here. Matt, Cole, Ray, Gilbert, pray for them. Pray for them. They need your prayers desperately. Pray for them. Third, respect the elders. Follow their leadership as they lead you into the word. Lay down your personal preferences. Follow their leadership for the sake of Christ. And then fourth, church, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace. He lavishes grace on the humble. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you love your sheep so much, that you raise up godly, faithful, strong, humble, serving shepherds, elders, to care for your sheep. We praise you that you want every sheep to have elders loving, feeding, leading, protecting. Thank you for your love for the flock. Thank you, Lord, for the elders you've raised up here. And we pray together right now that you'd continue to strengthen and bless Pastor Matt and Ray and Cole and Gilbert. Lord, strengthen them, guide them, bless them in every way. Thank you for them. And Lord, help us as a church to clothe ourselves with humility, not thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, but humbling ourselves, putting each other first, serving each other in that way for the unity of the body and for the glory of Jesus Christ. Help us with that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.